All right. We're going to be in Colossians again this morning. And we'll just read some representative verses here, kind of as a reminder of what we looked at last time I spoke and also uh, where we're headed. If you turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul says, For he, that is God, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, that is, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And if you turn over to chapter 2, verse 9, For in him, that is in Christ, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In other words, when you saw Christ, you saw God in the flesh. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And then just uh, a little phrase from the uh, verse 11 of chapter 3. Just right at the end of verse 11 in chapter 3. But Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. Let's pray here while we're standing. Father, we pray that you'd help us to see more of Christ this morning as we look into your word, get some uh, new understanding of, uh, of the beauty and wonder of this one we worship, and then to see more of who we are in him. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The last time that I spoke, we looked at the Apostle Paul's presentation of Christ here in Colossians. Now, he was in prison when he wrote this. This is one of the prison letters. And uh, he had received word from a man named Epaphras concerning the church at Colossae. It appears that Paul never was there uh, on his own, but he knew of what was going on there from reports that he had heard. And uh, it seems that this church was doing quite well, but false teachers were trying to bring in various heresies into that church situation. Um, In one way or another, these false teachers were denying the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. There were things like, well, uh, he talks about worldly wisdom and philosophy trying to make inroads there. He talked about asceticism, things like self-abasement and severe treatment of the body that was being pushed on these people. Angel worship. We don't know exactly what some of these things were, but we can get just a little idea of what he was having to deal with. Some people promoting angel worship and some forms of mysticism. And then there was ritualism, special religious requirements concerning food and drink and keeping days and circumcision. So he had all these different... Uh, influences trying to creep in and distort the gospel. It seems like it was kind of a mixture of, of pagan and Jewish concepts that were being put upon the uh, early church there in Colossae. Well, for Paul, the great issue was that these 
false teachers were saying that Christ, in one way or another, they were saying that Christ is not enough for full salvation. And Paul's answer to this was to show the preeminence and full sufficiency of Christ for every Christian in every situation. In Christ, he says, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And he is supreme over everything, everywhere, and faith in him is completely sufficient for anyone's salvation. This is the burden of the, this book. Faith in Christ is completely sufficient for anyone's salvation, any time, any place. The supreme issue, you see, for any person at any time is, what do you think of Christ? Do you have a right understanding and are you living in accordance with that understanding? a right understanding of Christ. The right understanding is what Paul presents here, that, he, that Christ is preeminent in all things. He's preeminent in creation. He's the one that spoke the universe into existence. He's preeminent in redemption. If you're going to be saved, it's going to be through Him. He's the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead. There's nothing that a Christian can need for salvation that is not found in Christ. He's all-sufficient, and with that understanding of who Christ is, then you're, Paul wants us to understand that because he's all-sufficient and because you're in him and he's in you, you are complete in him. In him we have complete salvation, complete forgiveness, and will have complete victory. So... If you want to know what the letter is centered on, it's centered on Christ, proclaiming Christ in his fullness in order that believers might come to realize and walk in their completeness in Christ. The little phrase, I, I just like the phrase because I think it sums it up about as, as, as simply uh, and shortly as you can, and yet it's all right there. Christ is all and in all, in every Christian. Christ is all and in all. So this, in general, is the teaching of the first half of this letter. And I initially intended just to give one message uh, from the letter, but I decided that I'd take some time, or maybe a couple times, or maybe even more, I don't know yet, uh, to explain and examine some of the way Paul's, Paul uses this teaching in the lives of the people to whom he's writing. You see, doctrinal teaching always has practical applications. To act right, we must think right. And that's what the first half of this letter is about, thinking rightly about Christ and who you are in him. To act right, we must think right. In the second half of the letter, Paul uses the truths that he's, he's presented in the first two chapters to focus on practical Christian living. Christian living, again, is based upon the application of Christian truth. Paul uses the basic truth of who Christ is and who we are in Christ to exhort the Christians in how they should, first of all, how they should live just their personal lives. That's in verses, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And then, how they should relate to one another as believers. That's 8 through 17. And then he goes on and, and uses these truths 
as to how we should relate to one another in a family, in our, in our families. That's verse 18 through 22. And then how masters and slaves should relate to one another. That's verse 22 and on into chapter 4, verse 1. That's a really poor chapter division there. You know, those divisions aren't inspired. And you should read right on from verse 25 uh, of chapter 3 right into verse 1 of chapter 4. So uh, how masters and slaves should relate to one another. And then how Christians should relate to non-Christians is in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. So, he's taking the basic truths and applying them in different situations, relationship situations. So this morning, I'd like to examine what Paul says about how we should live our personal lives in light of who Christ is and what he's done for us, and especially about how we should relate to one another in the church. Now, Garrett's already started on this uh, this morning. But we'll, we'll look at it from uh, this letter to the Colossians. So, let's read the section that we're going to look at this morning. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that an amazing statement? You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you lived in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Now you see he's starting to talk about relationships here. Yeah, especially, I believe, relationships in the church. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So, 
Paul says, because of who Christ is and because of who you are in Christ, because you're in Christ and because Christ is in you, because you've been raised up with him, you have all the resources necessary for the Christian life. You know, prior to conversion, all of us lived in the realm of darkness and sin and death. But now, in Christ, we live in the realm of light and righteousness and life. When you lived in that other realm, you walked in things like immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire and greed. And these are certainly not just the way it was in Colossa. That's the way it is in in the United States of America, too. You think of the things he's mentioning here, these sexual sins and greed and materialism, certainly problems in our present culture. But now, because you live in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you live in Christ, you can put aside these things. And... Also, such things as anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech from your mouth and the sins of the tongue, those can be put away. And you don't lie to one another anymore. You know, the, the world is one big lie. Yeah. When you really start to see all, these, all the glitter, when it gets taken off, you find out that things aren't the way they're presented. Things are not the way they seem. And all that looks so good on the surface isn't really that way. Well, Paul says, that's not the way for the Christian anymore. What you see is what you get is what it should be for the Christian. Don't lie to one another anymore. Since you have put on this new person in Christ, God is renewing your life, conforming it to the image of His Son. You can do this because the old you is gone. If you're a Christian, the old you is gone and you've been you've died and been raised up with Christ what you were in Adam has been blotted out of God's sight forever and now right now as a Christian you're viewed by God as complete in Christ that's the way God sees you he sees you in his son and his son is all sufficient so you're complete in Him. Now I thought maybe sometimes diagrams help a little uh, in trying to understand these things. So I'm going to give a diagram here on this board. Hopefully it will help us some as we examine this a little bit more. Uh, let me just set, set this board up. And I, Again, our, our present logistical situation is not the greatest, but hopefully everybody can, most everybody will be able to see this. will be in the way for some up uh, in front and you probably can't see. We'll have to check it out later. (laughs) You'll have to go by the verbal explanation instead of the visual. Um, What I'm trying to present here is these two realms, the realm that you used to be in before you were a Christian and the realm that you're in now as a Christian. And, of course, the verse I'm taking this from is the one we started out reading 
For he, that is God, delivered us from the domain of darkness on this side and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son over there. Okay? This side here, where we used to live, is the realm of sin and death. But we're not in that realm anymore. God's taken us over, put us in, in Christ, into the realm of righteousness and life. This is the realm of fallen humanity. We were all part of that. But now we're not part of that anymore. God's taken us and made us into a redeemed humanity, a renewed humanity, a new creation in Christ. This was a realm, this first was the realm of Adam. We were all in Adam at one time. If you're a Christian, now you're in Christ. It's a whole, you're in a whole different realm. This is the thing we've got to believe, receive as true, because this is what God's told, told us about what he's done for us. We're in Christ now. We once lived in this realm, but God has transferred us, brought us over into this other realm, this new realm in Christ. In this first realm here, Paul says we were hostile in mind. What were we hostile to? God, truth, reality, God's, God's truth, Christ. We were engaged in evil deeds over in this realm. We lived according to worldly philosophies and empty deception. And Paul says we were dead in trespasses and sin over in this realm. And he calls that being in the, the old man. What's that? That's what we were apart from Christ. But now, we're not here anymore. If you're a Christian, you, this, you're out of this realm. You're over into this other realm. We're in a new man, Paul talks about. A new man. That... We have a new identity, you see, and our true identity is over here. It's not here anymore. Satan would like you to think that it's over here, but that's not your true identity. Your true identity is over here on the right-hand side. Our true life is in that realm. And you know what? You'll never be the same again. Once God puts you over here, you'll never be the same. You might walk every once in a while over here like you're over here but you're not over there you live in this realm Christ is in us and we're in Christ when we're in this realm and in him we've been made complete because of our union with him what's true of him is true of us think about that that's one to meditate on because you're in this realm and you're in Christ, what's true of him is true of you. What's that mean? Well, it means that we've died with Christ. It means we've been buried with Christ. It means we've been raised up with Christ. All of these, I could give you verses out of Colossians 4. It means we've been raised up in Christ. It means that we're alive together with him. It means that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. It means that we're growing with a growth from God over in this realm over here. God's continually doing that in our lives. 
Because Christ is all and in all, we now can put off the things, anything that remains of this realm in our lives, we can put those things off. And we can put on more and more of who we really are in Christ. I'm using that phrase, put off and put on, because Paul uses it a lot in Colossians. And we'll see that as we go on here. Well, we need to, basically what Paul's saying is we need to stop walking in any way like we were walking in this realm. Because we're not in this realm anymore. We're over in this realm. We need to be what we are in Christ. So maybe that'll help as we go on here. Uh, I hope so. Sometimes it's said that a person can be so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. But Paul would never say that. Paul wants us to set our minds on things above. Because that's where Christ is, and we're in Christ. We must realize that our lives are right now hidden with Christ in God. We are, in fact, commanded to seek those things that are above, to set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth. God God wants us to be, Paul exhorts us to be heavenly minded. In fact, if you're not heavenly minded, you won't be much earthly good. We should act in reference to heavenly things as we formerly did in reference to earthly things. What's that mean? That means we should be engrossed in those type of things, the things related to Christ and what he's done for us. We should be engrossed in those type of things. We should study those things. We should love those things. And as we do that, it will make a big difference in how we walk in this world. So that's kind of the, the general teaching Paul gives here related to our, our personal walk. But now, he's, now he starts to apply it into the area of relating to one another as believers in the body of Christ. We've already said that it will change how we speak to one another, but even on a more basic level, it will change how we view one another. A person's gender or race or culture or social background, or whatever other distinction that that person brings with them when they become a Christian, are not the defining characteristics of that person anymore. These things are not barriers to fellowship or our commitment to one another because in the church, Christ is all and in all. All that matters is Christ, and Christ is in every believer. All those other things that the world looks to, race and gender and social standing and all that stuff, they go out the window when a person becomes a Christian. In God's new humanity, which is what this is on this side, a redeemed humanity, in God's new humanity, it doesn't matter if one's a Greek or a Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, a barbarian, a Scythian, 
which apparently, as near as I can tell from the commentaries, were the worst form of barbarian, a barbarian or an extreme barbarian, a slave or a free man. All these barriers are broken down in Christ. You know, the world divides and discriminates because of that, these type of things we're talking about here. But all that changes. When a person becomes a Christian, we're all on equal standing before God because Christ is all and in all. Now, I want to give just an example from church history here. You know, much of the early church was made up of slaves. Like when Paul wrote to the Romans, Rome, about, they say, 75 or 85 percent of Rome was slaves. So a lot of the early church were slaves. And I just want to give you one example of how that worked out in the life of some believers. Because, you know, one of the things that the early church had to, to deal with was, was persecution. Well, this is an example from the persecution in Carthage in, in 202 A.D. We have an account from church history of a, a, a well-to-do Roman matron named Perpetua. She was a young Roman, uh, I guess you would say, lady, noble, noble lady. But she had a slave, and both her and the slave were Christians. So, when pers- persecution broke out, they were both arrested, and they both found themselves in a Roman arena there in Carthage, ready to be martyred. And the account tells of how they stood together, hand in hand. Here's the slave and the, the master, the, the mistress. Stood hand, to get, hand in hand together. Because they shared a common faith, they died together. And the account tells this, says this, When it was time for them to be slaughtered by the sword, the martyrs gave each other the kiss of peace and awaited their heavenly reward. So there's the slave and the, the one in charge of the slave because those, those things were erased in Christ. They could embrace one another even as they were dying for the faith. You see, the most important thing about any believer is simply that they belong to Christ and Christ lives in them. Consequently, they know that they are holy and beloved by God all because of Christ. Not because of what they used to be but because of who they are now in Christ. So in our relationships with each other, we should constantly put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. We're talking about in the church here now. That's what he said. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. He's using this thing of putting off the old, putting on the new. It's a, it's a picture of clothing, you see. Most all the commentators say Paul is thinking about just what we do with clothing, putting off and putting on. 
forgiving each other. Another, you could say it this way, Christ's people are to be Christ-like to one another. Christ's people are to be Christ-like to one another. This means that things like grudges and slander and bitterness and jealousy and grumbling and gossip, Garrett brought some of this out, grumbling and gossip, are to be put aside. They're not to be continued. They're to be put off. Put off those things. That's not who you are anymore. It's like taking off something that's old and ragged and you've outgrown. Something that doesn't fit you anymore and putting on something new. That old way of living doesn't fit you anymore because that's not who you are anymore. So take it off and put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, just as Christ has forgiven you. We put off the old way, when we, the way we used to treat people, and we put on Christ's way of treating people. That's what we do as Christians. Because of who Christ is and what he's done for us and who we are in Christ, relationships are radically altered. We're talking about mainly here in the church right now. Paul goes into other areas, and maybe we'll get into some of those in the future. But right now we're talking about in the church. Relationships are radically altered because of who we are in Christ. A Really a significant measure of our Christian life is found in how we treat one another. Because Christ lives this way, lived a certain way, and Christ lives in you, you can live this way. You can live this way. You can put on a tender heart, a heart of compassion. Your brother or sister's good can be as important to you as your own. It's really possible. You can take the low position and you can put off that desire to dominate or manipulate or coerce others. You can put that off. You really can do that. And you can be a forgiving person and you can put off holding past offenses. You can put that off because Christ has forgiven you. And beyond all these things, Paul says, you can put on love. You can actually put on love. I'm not talking about being a put-on. We're talking about actually making a difference in your life. You can put on love. Just like an outer garment over your other clothing. Love encompasses all the rest of these attributes. That's because love is the unifying factor in all these other things. And it will be the thing that unifies God's people. As we seek to put on all these other ways of living, our changed speech and all the things related to gentleness and patience, as we seek to do that, we need to make sure the unifying factor there is love. Put on love, he says. 
we must make sure that that's there. Because without love, these other things will be distorted and unbalanced. Or as Paul even says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, they won't profit without love. Now in, in Colossians here, Paul is talking about a mutual love within the Christian community that brings about a harmony amongst those involved. Where there could, there could easily be disunity. I mean, there's all, with all the different backgrounds that we have, uh, different cultural backgrounds, different nationalities, uh, even different, differing convictions about opinions on things. Easily disunity, but it, it won't be there if you put on love. When the church is functioning as it should, the peace of Christ will rule in the hearts of God's people. And there will be a sense of thankfulness for what God has done for each person in Christ. That's why it's so good to hear testimonies. Because you just think, wow, it's, it's good to hear again what grace can do in a person's life. How grace can change a person. Thankfulness for that, what God has done. This peace of Christ, we're not just talking about some type of an inner peace or tranquility of soul. God gives that, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about peace among Christians, peace with one another. God has called his people to this, to, to be in one body, to be at peace with one another, united in their desire to, to be pleasing to God. Now let me just maybe give one exhortation here. If there's somebody, some brother or sister here, that right now you couldn't stand next to and sing these hymns. There's something wrong. You need yeah. to get that taken care of. Yeah. We're one body. There's peace here. There's, we've, we've put on love. This is a place where forgiveness and grace and love reigns in the church of God. So in, this, in the setting where the Word of God richly dwells among God's people, they can teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in their hearts to God. It's in that type of setting that the unity, this type of united, peaceful, loving setting that God commands the blessing. God's Spirit will be active in that type of gathering. There can be and will be a spontaneity of, of generosity and love and worship and thanksgiving. Things done in the name of the Lord. That's what, the way he ends off. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. What's it mean to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, it means in accordance with his character and his attributes, the way Christ would do it. That's the way, if you're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus, that's the way you'll do it. Well, you might be thinking, that sounds pretty good, but is it really possible? 
if this is a result of putting off the old and putting on the new, how do we do this? How do we put off the old and put on the new? Well, in one way, it's not as easy as just taking off an old garment and putting on a new one. But actually, if you think about it, when you were a very young child, even taking off a garment and putting on another piece of clothes wasn't all that easy. <laughs> you had to learn how to do it. Learn how to take things off and put things on. And this is true in relationship to taking off our sinful behavior and putting on virtuous behavior. As Paul has stressed in the first two chapters, it has to do with seeing more of Christ's beauty, more of who he is and what he's done for us, more of who we are in him. And I just want to give you a few things that are part of this putting off and putting on process. First thing, of course, is that you've put on Christ. Have you trusted him for your complete salvation? Without that, if you're not in Christ, you don't have the capacity to put off and put on. You're still over in this realm. I like the way John Bunyan put it in a little little poetic form. He says, Run, John, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel bring, brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. <laughs> when, when, when the law was there before, you, you couldn't do it. But better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. So God's made you a new creature. And you have the capacity, the resources in Christ to live the way God wants you to live. But I will say this, even as new creatures in Christ, we must learn to flee certain things and pursue certain things. We put off, we need to learn to put off the world's ways of viewing things and to adopt a mindset in accordance with our renewed humanity in Christ, seeking those things that are above, putting off those things that were associated with our fallen humanity, and learning to be honest with ourselves and with others and with God, asking Him and others to help us to keep a guard over our thoughts and redirect them into appropriate God-honoring thinking. You know, this is one of the great benefits of being together as Christians. Iron sharpens iron. If we spend time with other people who are desiring to please God, it helps us in our walk to please God. We put off sinful ways by making no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. We put on by studying and meditating and channeling our thoughts on things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and of good report. In other words, how do you spend your day what do you think about? What do you fill your mind with? It makes a big difference in this thing of putting off and putting on. Putting on involves personal study of the scriptures and reading good Christian literature, but it also involves corporate getting together with Christians, corporate prayer, corporate praise, listening to biblical preaching, worshiping together, and frequent fellowship. 
That's part of putting on. If you're really going to put on, those are going to be part of it. The church is going to be a large part of you putting on the character of Christ. We put off by confession of sin. We put on by confession of Christ. We put off and put on by learning more and more to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And one of the best places to do that is in a graceful, faithful, united community of loving believers. A community where Christ is recognized as all and in all. As we participate in this new this new life, this new covenant community, we are increasingly given wisdom and power to reflect Christ's character to each other and to see that character grow in each other. So these are things that God works in his people, but we also recognize our responsibility to work them out in our lives. This is what Paul was, or what Garrett was referring to there in Philippians. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And really, worshiping together takes some work. Why is that? Because we're still needing to grow. But worshiping together, even though it takes work, it brings out aspects of of spiritual maturity that we would get in no other way. So in closing, let me just say this. If we go through this section and see this, this uh, characteristics of what a church should be in Christ, you might be thinking, well, Lake Road Chapel has a ways to go. And you would be right in thinking that. But don't just think of how others need to put off and put on. We each need to start with ourselves. And one of the best places is just to ask God to help, help you in this. In other words, one of the best places to start is with prayer. Perhaps that's why Paul, after he deals with a number of these relationship situations, he deals with the church, and then the family, or the, the, the marriage relationship, the family, Masters and slaves. And then verse 2 of chapter 4 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. If you're going to put off and put on, if the church is going to be what it is called to be, one of the big areas is just seeking God to make it that way more and more. Devote yourselves to prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving. In other words, be thankful for what God has done. Aren't you thankful for what God has done here for us as a, a body of believers? And then keep asking for more. In Christ, He has provided for all of our needs as a body of believers. Christ is all and in all.